19. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 19, I'm going to be reading from verse 5 through 22. John 19, starting in verse 5. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he... Bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for all that you did there at Golgotha. and um, We know that you did that for us. And that you know us intimately. And even with your intimate knowledge of all that we are. You love us still. And you died for us. And that's just life changing, Lord. And so, in gratitude for all that you have done for us, Lord, we're here to learn about you. Our desire is to have an intimate knowledge of you, God. 
And so we pray that you would use this time this morning to reveal yourself to us in a new way or a reminder way. And God, we pray that you would use your servant Paul to speak to our hearts that the um, things that you have laid on his heart, that he would be able to communicate them clearly and passionately and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and change. Lord, we pray that our lives would be changed today by what you have for us. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So we arrive in our series on the covenants of God at the cross, the crucifixion. And we may ask, what does the crucifixion of Jesus have to do with the covenants that God made in the Old Testament? Let's remind ourselves what those covenants are. The covenant, first of all, with Noah and with uh, the creatures that God would never again bring a worldwide flood upon the earth. Has he kept that covenant? Yes. The covenant with Abraham that God would uh, bless Abraham, give him a physical child from him and his wife, and that uh, from that child there would be descendants who would grow into a nation and they would be given a specific land. And through that, uh, that line, through those descendants, all the families of the earth would be blessed. The Mosaic Covenant was a covenant that both God and the people of Israel agreed to. In other words, it was a two-sided covenant, a bilateral covenant, where God said that uh, he would bless Israel and keep them as his special treasure and his covenant people, and uh, as long as they kept his law. Did they keep his law? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so that covenant obviously was faulty because human beings could not, they weren't good enough to keep their side of the bargain. Then we have the uh, priestly covenant, uh, one made with Phineas in Numbers 25, which had to do with an everlasting priesthood serving God. And then the Davidic covenant, which is given to David that his line, the line of David, that dynasty, would never be extinguished. Now, it might be laid aside for a good long time, which it was, of course, after the Babylonian captivity and even up to today. But it couldn't be extinguished. One would eventually sit on the throne of Israel in David's line. Of course, that will be Jesus at his return. And then you have the new covenant, 
The new covenant replaces the old covenant. Remember the Mosaic covenant? That old covenant could not be kept because we can't keep the law of God. How many people here have lied? Put your hands up. How many people here have lied? All of you. Okay? I know you have. How many have coveted? All of you. Okay? How many of you have taken God's name in vain? Okay? You are. You're guilty. That's enough to send you to hell. Do you think about God at all? Do you you put him first? Or do you very, very rarely put him first? Do you just neglect him most of the time? He's kind of uh, just a feature in the back there until you need him. You think he wants somebody like you in heaven? No, 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 he does not. He does not want that attitude in heaven. God has got to be first. First in your thoughts. He's God. You're a creature. Not only that, you're a rebellious creature. That's why that first covenant doesn't work. Because we can't keep it. Okay, so what about the penalty then for breaking that covenant? Where is that penalty paid? The penalty is death. And then the death of the soul in hell. Or the cross. The cross of Christ, the sinless Son of God who died substitutionary atonement for those sins. He died in your place. Buddha didn't die in your place. Muhammad didn't die in your place. They were sinners. One of them said the way to escape suffering and sin is to pretend it's not really there. Okay? Then they go around asking for money, which somehow is there. Okay? Muhammad was a sinner. You don't need me to go into that. Just read something about him. He was a sinner. Even said he was. None of the great religious leaders of the world died for your sins. None of them were sinless. Jesus, the Son of God, was sinless. And he died willingly for your sins. So that you don't have to be punished. In doing that, he set up the new covenant to replace that old covenant. All you have to do to enter the new covenant is to trust him that he died in your place and rose again for your justification. That's what the cross is about. The cross is about the new covenant. That's so you can see, therefore, the connection. But there's more of a connection to that. You see... All of the blessings that that are carried by those other covenants that I mentioned, none of them can come true. None of them can come to fruition. They're all impossible to be fulfilled. If we stay the same, if we stay sinners, if we stay with our entertaining of our thoughts, with our anger, with our covetousness, with our envy, with our lust, with our anger. And you name your own sins, just add them to that list. If we stay like that, we'd turn heaven into hell. 
we'd turn heaven into this world. You can't go to heaven as you are. You've got to have your sins forgiven. You've got to have them taken away. You've got to be given a new nature. You have to be, what's the word? Saved. And when you're saved, God can forgive you. And God can, through the power of the resurrection of Christ and your connection with that, not only give you a down payment, the Holy Spirit, to you. doesn't mean you stop sinning as a Christian. Okay? You know, people say you know, Christians are hypocrites. Well, of course they are. They still have problems with sinning. They still have problems with themselves. But they're forgiven sinners. And eventually that sin, that hypocrisy, will be taken away and they'll be sinless and they'll be like Christ. God has the power to do that. But the first installment of that is their trust in Jesus at the cross. Once a person has come to Christ like that, then the covenants of God can be fulfilled upon them, do you see, in the kingdom of God that's coming. So that it can be a kingdom that's not blighted by human sin or suffering or pain or injustice. That's my introduction. I haven't got to the point here, which is... This is a very odd kind of a um, exchange between Pilate and the Jews. The Jews here are the Jewish authorities, the, the teachers, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, and so on. Those people who, uh, they memorized the, the Old Testament. These people knew their Old Testaments, their Jewish Bibles, very well. They also memorized all of the teachings of the rabbis before them. In fact, they often gave more weight to the teachings of the rabbis than they did to what God said in the text itself. And this has continued and actually got worse and worse in Judaism since this time. Here we're talking about uh, approximately A.D. 30, maybe A.D. 33. Um, In A.D. 70, The Jewish temple was destroyed by the Romans because of a Jewish rebellion. And most of the records of uh, what's called Second Temple Judaism were destroyed at that time. Then there was another conflagration in uh, the 130s AD because of what's called the Bar Kokhba uh, revolution. And that is when uh, Israel was completely overcome. That's when the, they were dispersed and exiled. That's when Israel, the, the nation of Israel, was called Palestine by the Romans because of the Philistines. They say, who are the people that, you know, what would really be like smoke in the nose of these rebels? Let's call this land after their arch, their enemies in the 
ancient world, the Philistines. So they called it Palestine. Okay, that's where that word comes from. And from the ashes of all of that, modern Judaism comes. So if we want to understand Jesus and we want to understand God's truth, we have to cut through all of the uh, things that have accrued through history as far as uh, Jewish religion and, unfortunately, sometimes Christian teaching too. And that can be pretty easily done through Christian teaching because we have the New Testament. (laughs) So it helps us to go back to it to see whether a teaching is uh, scriptural or not. And so here we are, we've eventually come to the cross. Jesus has been found not guilty. He's been found not guilty by Pontius Pilate, who's a historical figure. We know about Pontius Pilate. We know that he committed suicide in AD 36. We know that he was a very wicked and um, unscrupulous individual. We know that he um, was connected to an anti-Semite who was very powerful in uh, the court of uh, Augustus, a guy called Sejanus, who eventually was uh, assassinated, or, well, actually executed. He fell out with the emperor. And that put Pilate in a difficult position. And it's possible that the falling out and the execution of Sejanus uh, threw suspicion on Pilate. And perhaps you can remember, uh, kind of recall that as we go through this passage. Maybe it explains something of why Pilate was so concerned about the political ramifications of letting Jesus go. But let's have a look at our passage. As we can see, Jesus is brought out. He's wearing a crown of uh, very large thorns that was pounded down into his skull and a purple robe. He didn't look very impressive because he'd just been flayed within an inch of his life. There were three kinds of, uh, of whippings, of flagellation that were done, uh, and uh, this one was the worst kind. And so Pilate's words to the crowd here in verse 5 might seem to be mockery. Behold the man or half a man, actually, by the look of him. He would have had blood all over him. He would have been staggering. He would have been weak after the beating. Like so many people, they, you know, Jesus would have been impressive when he was teaching in the temple, but he was not impressive looking now after he had been beaten. 
But still, it's an interesting thing that Pilate says, isn't it? Behold the man. Why did he say that? <laughs> Eke homo is the, uh, the Latin phrase. Well, just because Pilate viewed him as a man. He viewed him as more than that. He, if you look at the accounts in the Gospels of uh, Jesus and Pilate, you will see that who has the upper hand, and it's most definitely Jesus. Pilate gets more and more concerned, more and more worried when he interacts with Jesus because there's something different about Jesus. And there's something about the words that Jesus says to him that um, they kindle something in the humanity of Pilate so that he sees that humanity. He sees himself as a creature. He sees himself as weak. He sees himself as somebody who's just passing through the history of earth and who one day is going to die. He sees his finitude, if I can use that smart word, when he's talking to Jesus. And he also, I think there's something in his conversation with Jesus that makes him think of uh, infinity or eternality. Behold, though, he says to the crowd, behold the man. I've dealt with him. I've punished him. I've um, interrogated him. Herod had interrogated him before this and also called him innocent. And so here he is. That should be sufficient. And that was what Pilate was hoping, yes? I've dealt with this man. Behold, look at him, how pathetic he is. He's not saying, look how impressive he is. He's not saying that because he wasn't impressive. You see, Jesus is the Son of God, and we'll see in a minute. Jesus is eternally divine. But what the crowd saw was not the one at the right hand of the throne of God forever, not the co-creator of the universe and of themselves, not the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, not their judge, not the reason for their existence. They saw a man because God sent his son into the world, you see, to be a man with human weakness, among human frailty, so that he as a man could die for men and women, for sinners. So there he is as a man. He's bleeding. He's weak. He looks like a beaten up man because that's what he is. Don't have this idea of uh, Jesus and the crucifixion that somehow he rose above the suffering, rose above the difficulty. No, he didn't. 
It was brutal, and he felt every stroke. But the chief priests weren't, uh, weren't okay with that. That wasn't enough for them. These were religious leaders. But they're baying for blood. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. We have that word excruciation. Excruciating. Ex, out of the, out of. The Greek preposition, out of. Excrucio, the cross, out of the cross. That's what the word excruciating means. It comes from crucifixion. These religious leaders, supposedly spiritual men, supposedly connected to God, they, this beating wasn't enough for them. They wanted him to be crucified. They wanted him to go through that excruciating pain and torture and death. We have to understand, I remember as an unbeliever, I came to Christ when I was 25, I remember very clearly thinking, these religious hypocrites, these religious people, responsible for all of these wars, responsible for all of this suffering and so on. Okay, There's nothing spiritual about these people. There's nothing good about these people. They just want to hurt people because they don't agree with them. You've probably had the same thoughts, yes? There's nothing new about those kind of people. Here they are represented in this passage. You can be extremely religious. You might even know this Bible pretty well. You might say that you're a Christian. And you might be as wicked and as evil as these Pharisees and these scribes. In John chapter 8, Jesus calls these people children of the devil. They didn't impress him with their spirituality. You have to be able to distinguish between the false and the true. The true are going to be followers of Jesus and they're going to understand why Jesus came and what Jesus did and they're going to try to obey his commands. The false are going to be the do-gooders. The people that want you to look at them, the people that, that uh, have pride in their authority and their regalia. They want him to be crucified. They want him to be lifted up between heaven and earth to be shown off in his death to all. Pilate's trying to get out of it here. You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered, him and said we have a law and according to our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God so now he's being proclaimed as a man now he's being proclaimed as a son of God what does that do to Pilate 
When Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. Now, don't think that Pilate started to become a Christian at that point. He didn't. Okay? He didn't. Or at any other time. But there was something, like I said, about Jesus that concerned him. We're told that he knew that for envy, jealousy, Jesus had been delivered up. And by the way, he'd had no problem in in, uh, killing innocent people before. We know that he'd done that. We know from Luke 13 that there's records of him doing that. But Jesus is impressive. Something about Jesus unnerves him. He made himself the son of God. Oh. So there's a claim here. This is the thing that riles the Jews. That Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. Now here we are. Here's Pilate who has been confronted with this individual and has found him innocent. So he's innocent. But that's not good enough for the religious leaders. And now he's informed that this person who he's had a dialogue with, see that in chapter 18, is the son of God. So, verse 8, Pilate, heard when he heard that saying, he was more afraid and went again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Where are you from? That's an interesting question, isn't it? (laughs) Um, In that question is that that other question that you see sometimes in movies, you know, uh, like, who are you? Yes, there are certain movies where, uh, like in a Western, you know, you, you, anyone know the Western, the Sergio Leone movie, Once Upon a Time in the West? And there's the Charles Bronson character who's playing that harmonica. And uh, he's kind of a mysterious fellow. And then finally, at the end of the movie, he has this showdown with Henry Fonda. And you find out that uh, Charles Bronson was, uh, that, that Henry Fonda had put uh, Charles Bronson, the young character of Charles Bronson in a position where he had to hold up his brother who had a, a noose around his neck and Fonda had got a harmonica out of his uh, jacket and shoved it into the mouth of the young Charles Bronson character and said play for your brother and so, you know, he was doing this kind of breathing and the, with the harmonica and holding up his brother. Eventually he fell and his brother died. The end of the movie, Bronson's character shoots Fonda and Fonda says to the Charles Bronson character, doesn't have a name, who are you? And Bronson gets that harmonica and shoves it into the mouth of Henry Fonda. That's uh, something of 
the kind of impact of this question here, where are you from, that we find in verse 9. He's afraid because he hears he's the son of God. He's not connected to these scribes and the Pharisees. He's not connected to Herod. Where's he from? I mean, where'd he come from? Who is he? So Jesus tells him all about his life, tells him all about life before he came to earth, tells him about the creation of the world, the sin of man, shows him his glory just for a minute like he did at the Mount of Transfiguration where he, he uh, showed his disciples his true self just for a moment. No, he doesn't do any of that. In fact, he doesn't even respond Jesus gave him no answer. There's a reason for that, because in chapter 18, okay, and we looked at this, Jesus had said to Pilate, you are right that I'm a king, okay, but my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, not connected to these, you know, these political errors. Else would my servants fight. But he says, I come to bear witness to the truth. And everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate, do you know what he said as he departed? What is truth? He'd fit in really nicely in 21st century America, wouldn't he? Well, for somebody who's going to say, what is truth? I don't even know what truth is. What's the point of talking to them anymore? Where's a point of contact with them? I mean, they've let go of reason and rationality and truth, haven't they? So, Pilate comes in and says, where are you from? Who are you? And so on. Jesus doesn't answer him. Verse 10, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered this one, you could have no power at all, you little man. Okay? You pawn. Unless it had been given you from above. Now, where's he claim? Where's the claim? The claim is he's made himself the son of God, yes? I am a king, but not of this world. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greatest sin. Pilate's connecting the dots here. Now, it doesn't mean that he's becoming a believer, but he's connecting the dots. So Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Oh, well, that's not good for a person who is connected with an individual called Sejanus who has just been killed by Caesar. And we know that Pilate was connected very strongly with Sejanus. That's, that's part of Roman history. So if there is a connection there, it explains why this political threat was levied against him by the Jews. Do you see? 
When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, what? Behold your king, which is the title of this sermon. Behold your king. He's a Roman Gentile. He has no idea really about uh, the covenants of God in the Old Testament, the Davidic covenant, and so on about the dynasty. He has no idea what he's saying. But as a pawn in the game, he's declaring the truth. You see, when Jesus came and started his ministry three years earlier than this, He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. But the kingdom of God and entrance into the kingdom of God depended on acceptance as Jesus as the king of that kingdom. Do you see? Everything was focused on him. They'd rejected that message, but right at the end now, right before the crucifixion, a Roman governor is saying, behold your king to the Jews. There's a connection there with the covenants of God. Do you see that? God in his providence is making this connection. It's ironic, isn't it? And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Away with the king, away with the ministry of Jesus, away with his teachings, away with his doctrine of love and forgiveness, away with his good deeds and his miracles that only ever did good. Away with his sinless life. Away with it all. Let's keep the world the same. And if he came today just like this, as I've said before, they would say, the people of the world, the media, they would say, away with him. Away with him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Well, you certainly don't have... You don't have the son of David as your king. You just want to crucify him. So that's a true word too. These religious leaders showing their colors. You know, for all of their religion, all of their knowledge of the Old Testament, they reject the Old Testament. Away with the Old Testament. Away with the word of God. Away with the covenants. Away with the promises. Along with the king. You see, it's a package, folks. These Old Testament covenants were promises. They foretold the coming of this person, the Messiah, the Christ. And when he came, they also foretold his rejection. But the same covenants, by the way, therefore foretell that he's coming again.
We have no king but Caesar ties them to the world, ties them to the realm of Satan. Do you see? Satan, the God of this world. Jesus has said, I am from above, you're from beneath. Yes, they are. We have no king but Caesar. That's right, and God is witness to their words. So he delivered him to be crucified, and then they took Jesus and led him away. Well, that was a cowardly thing for Pilate to do. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the Place of a Skull, which is in the, called in Hebrew Golgotha. And when they crucified him with two others with him on either side, Jesus in the center, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Well, he didn't write it himself. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Just, Pilate was convinced Jesus was innocent. Pilate was convinced that Jesus was a king of some sort, but not a threat to Rome. Pilate was so um, impacted by this whole situation that probably to thumb his nose at the scribes and the Pharisees, he put the king of the Jews there. But God, behind the scenes as it were, made it absolutely clear to anyone who looked up at that cross, at that person in the center cross, who it was who had been rejected, who it was who was dying there. The king of the Jews, who will be the king of the Jews, who will reign and will reign upon this earth as the king of the whole earth, was dying, was crucified. The crowds were baying at him at the same time. People were mocking him. He was naked. It was humiliating as well as excruciating. But Pilate had written the truth. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place was, uh, where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek and Latin. Hebrew? Pilate didn't know Hebrew. Okay, he would have had to ask somebody who knew Hebrew to write it in Hebrew. Greek, because most of the Jews even in the, in the city, because it was Passover time, or close to Passover, close to the offering of the Passover, they would have been from Greek-speaking parts of the Roman Empire. They wouldn't speak Hebrew, they'd speak Greek, okay? And then Latin, because the Romans spoke Latin. Don't write King of the Jews, but he said, I'm King of the Jews. Write it as an accusation, not as a title. And Jesus, uh, sorry, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And what he wrote was the truth. It's probably the only true thing that he ever did in his life. What he wrote was the truth. In fact, it was so much the truth that the king of the Jews, the rejected king of the Jews, who was hanging on the cross, 
was actually enacting, he was initiating another covenant at the time of Passover, right then, right before their eyes. His blood was the blood of the new covenant. He was the sacrificial animal. He was the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And his blood was proof of that as it ran down the cross. It was accepted in heaven. Oh, it was a pathetic and ghastly sight on earth. But in heaven, it opened the gates to the fulfillment eventually of all of the other promises of God. In the new covenant, the salvation covenant, the covenant of redemption, the covenant of forgiveness on the basis of his blood. You see, God does not count now your sins against you. And he will not punish you for your sins. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. People don't have to go there. Why do people go there then? Why do people end up there? Because they will not trust the one who made a new covenant with God for them. And all they have to do is trust him. Trust what God was doing at the cross there was much bigger than Jesus just dying because he loved everybody. No, Jesus certainly died for love, but he died to open up a way of forgiveness, of salvation for every sinner that will believe in him. And so, he can be your king, but he can't be your king if you treat him like the scribes and the Pharisees. If you reject him. He's coming again, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that means that if you're a Christian today, he's going to be your Lord and he's going to be your King on this earth. And he's going to transform the earth. He's going to make it into a paradise. He's going to do away with all of the wickedness and the corruption on the earth. He's going to do something that we're all hoping will happen. Will you be there? I mean, this is the question that comes out of this, surely. (laughs) The question is, what about me? Which side am I on here? Am I on the side of Jesus and the significance of his death? Do I accept him as the king? Do I accept him as the new covenant lamb of God? And do I want to be party to that covenant with God so that God now blesses me and all he can do is bless me? Or do I just take the sides of the scribes and the Pharisees and say, away with the king? Don't need him. He's an impediment to my ambitions, to my view of myself. I don't need his forgiveness. I'll forgive myself. You can forgive yourself as much as you want, but you know what? Newsflash, you're not the judge. 
And you'll stand before the God who sent Jesus into the world, the Son of God, to die for you. And you will not have his forgiveness upon you. And you stand and you will be judged for your sins. And Jesus will not intercede for you. And God will say, away with you. It's an easy, logical transaction. And I present it to you as the gospel. It is good news, folks, because you deserve and I deserve to be punished for my sins. But I'm not going to get what I deserve because I've trusted that Jesus has already taken that penalty. And he's done it because he so loved the world that he was willing to die for you, for me. Please, please believe that the one hanging on that cross 2,000 years ago was um, did it for you. taking your place so that you could have eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we hope that you will help us consider and reconsider what was going on 2,000 years ago as Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem. We pray, gracious Father, that you would Help us to embrace the truth that Jesus was sent by you to die for our sins. He was rejected, but we don't have to reject him. We can accept him for who he is. We can believe your word and we can be saved. Saved from sin, saved from hell, saved from meaninglessness. And granted, Lord, an eternal life of joy and peace with you. That's what you want. Is it what we want? Amen.